Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, I've got a special guest, uh, Gabriel Hamill. And not that every guest isn't special, but what I really love about this guy, we've spent so much time together over the last few years, um, just such a genuine person, um, always giving back, just always bringing so much energy to anything he ever does. And by the way, he's like a world record holder in a couple areas. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But Gabe, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to do this. So let's jump into the four questions. So who's had the greatest impact on your life? Yeah, when I when I think the greatest impact, it's tough. There's a lot of people that have had impacts on my life in different ways. Um, but really, going back, I'd, I have to say my parents. You know, my they they weren't in the business world by by any means. But my mom, at a young age, just really preached, "Hey, you can do anything you put your mind to," and that's just something as a kid I almost foolishly just believed, just that I could do anything I put my mind to. And so that's something I've taken with me as a as a kid and into my adulthood. And, you know, then my dad, he just naturally, he was a fun guy. He just naturally saw the good in, in everybody. I mean, he had, we had some weird, some very interesting family friends, right? But it's part of that was my dad just saw the good in most people. And uh, that's something I really admired. <laughs> I'm interested to dig back into uh, interesting <laughs> uh, family friends, but uh, cool. Sure. So if you could narrow it down to one thing that's had the greatest impact on your success, what do you think that would be? Gosh, the biggest impact on my success. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely have to give some tribute to Rich Dad Poor Dad. You know that that book gave me a lot of a lot of direction. I I was always very very hungry, wanted to do something in the business world. Uh, academia, school really wasn't my avenue. So that that book really gave me uh, a lot of direction as far as. I, I read that book, I picked that up and I was dead set that I was going to create financial freedom and I was going to do it through real estate. And so, uh, that had a huge impact on my life. I read that at about 20 years old. What about that book? I mean, obviously it opened your mindset, but dig on that for me a little bit. What, what do you, what do you think? Uh, was there like one takeaway or was it just kind of opening your mind to the whole world of time? Yeah, I think, I think part of it was the only thing that I'd really heard up until that time was you know, hey, you go to school, you go to college, you get a good paying job. I mean, even my parents who didn't go to college, that was kind of the default setting was, hey, you should go to college so you can get a good job. And I was just never really interested in working for somebody else or having a traditional job. And I knew school, you know, traditional school was not my strong point. So going to more school just didn't make sense for me. And I just didn't know what else was, was out there. And so reading that book, I mean, I literally, I picked that up around 2002 and it's the first book I read cover to cover, word for word. It's the first book that I picked up and didn't want to put down. And it really answered all these un unanswerable questions, all these questions that I, didn't, that I didn't really have answers to of what else was possible, what else could I do. So as I'm reading this, I'm just going, yes, 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 this makes sense. And then, you know, kind of my mom's voice in my head of, hey, you can do anything you put your mind to. I was dead set. This is what I would do. I would gain financial freedom through real estate. I didn't know 
how. It wasn't a how-to book. It's just a mindset of, mm-hmm. of what was possible. And, and I was dead set that that's what I was going to do. Yeah, that's so, so, so important, like the, the mindset piece of that. And I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, other than Super Fudge. I don't, I don't know if you ever heard that book, but I'd read that oh, cover to cover it. when I was little for whatever reason. It was amazing. And then, um, 1984, for some reason, when I read 1984, George Orwell's book, um, in high school, I read that cover to cover, but I'm with you on the rich dad, poor dad book like that just, and I love what you said there. Um, it wasn't, it's not necessarily a how to book, right? It's a mindset book. Right. And I think exactly. a lot of times, um, people, you know, we get into the how to stuff, but it's really about mindset. And that's what I love about you. Every time I've ever been with you, um, it's a conversation. And when I say, you know, you bring the energy and all that stuff, like it's always a positive conversation and it's always around mindset. So I appreciate you for that. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. What was your greatest setback and what'd you learn from it? Gosh, setback, you know, like I, I look at any, any setback, big or small is just an opportunity to, to grow and, and, and move forward and, and learn from. So I think, uh, you know, the first things that come to mind when I think about setbacks, you know, early on, early on in my investing career, uh, you know, it was easy to get, it was easy to get a loan, right? I, 2005, I had no money, no job, and the bank was willing to give me a hundred percent financing loan. It was incredible. So I'm going, Hey, this is easier than the books. Uh, same thing in 06 and 07, but by, by 2008, uh, you know, the bank said, no way, we're not giving you a loan. Uh, I had started a small business in 06 by 08. It wasn't making any money. My first son was born in 08. And I kind of went, oh, shit, what do I do? Um, I'd had these three homes that were pretty easy to get, and I really had a decision to make. So I went back to the bank and said, hey, can I get another loan on a property? They said, no way. You need 30% down. You actually need a down payment. You need income. You need a job of some sort, none of which I had. Uh, you know, I think I said my first son was born that year. And so um, you know, I shut my, my little business down at the small nutrition store, and I went and got uh, a minimum wage job. And that, cause that's what I, that's what I was qualified for. And, you know, three months into that job and I've shared this story so many times, it was in a high school special education class and three months into that job, I'm literally cleaning up shit that a kid thrown all over the stall. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. My heart goes out to these kids, man. It's a, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough job for not a lot of money, but three months in, I'm going, this is not, you know, this is not what I want to do. And so I could have taken that setback and looked at that as, uh, you know, just quit right there. But for me, it was an opportunity uh, to, and a decision to make to propel forward. And so, uh, you know, that was really a pivotal point for me to say, hey, if I could replace this income, mm-hmm. which seemed very achievable because it was a low paying job, if I could replace this income, I could essentially be financially free. So I went out and, and, and found a couple duplexes that cash flowed almost to the dollar that job was making. And that was really the beginning. But that set that setback is also what really propelled me to, to move forward. That's awesome. Yeah. So you wouldn't mind cleaning up that shit nowadays, as long as you're just donating your time because you're financially free, but you didn't. Uh, want to. <laughs> I, I, I don't know about that, you know, okay. and, and you know, and then, and then something else that really came to mind, you know, as, as far as a setback, but also an opportunity, I was very just a hundred percent focused on, on the real estate stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the setbacks too, that really led to an opportunity to grow was, uh, gosh, maybe eight years ago, my, my wife and I separated for uh, a short time. And, you know, some of that, you know, really looking back is my focus was only on building wealth. It was only on real estate. We go to date, you know, have date nights and I just yap and yap and yap and about, about real estate. And, you know, I had, I, I, looking back, I had never read a book on, you know, uh, relationships on parenting, on personal development. 
anything of that sort. It was all money business related. And so, you know, that was something where I really had to get real. And, you know, me and me and my wife had to really reflect and, and work on our own shit in order to grow. And, and that's something, again, it was a setback, but also really propelled my, my personal life and my personal growth to, to a new level. Cause it was an area that I hadn't put, put any time and energy in. Wow. And yeah. That's powerful. And that's one of the things, uh, you know, we talk about this all the time, but that's one of the things I love about GoBundance, right? Is just, um, it's not just the financial pillar. And, you know, I think any one of us can get out of balance at different times in our life, but I appreciate you sharing that story. I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, so that, that's yeah, and, pretty powerful. Yeah. And it's not, it's not something I, I, you know, I share too much, but I, I think it's an important part of the story because it, you know, obviously the business was growing because that's where I spent my time and energy. That's where the investments were growing, but there were other areas in my life that, that weren't. And, and oddly enough, when I really focused away from just the business and more on the, on the growth of me as a person, becoming the best version of myself, everything improved my, my, my wife and myself and our relationship, but also the business grew. So it was very interesting to, to recognize, wow, when my focus is on, on growing as a person, the business is also going to, going to have some growth because I'm working on being the best version of myself. And so it's, you know, it was a setback, but again, it was also a very uh, pivotal moment to propel forward into the future. Uh, awesome, man. We'll probably circle back to some of that. Um, sure. Yeah, appreciate you sharing it. What is the piece of advice you find yourself sharing with people the most? I think that you can do anything you put your mind to, man. Kind of that advice my mom, my mom gave me, you know. Um, I mean, I truly, that and, and just encouraging people to take action. I, I get in a lot of conversations, uh, you know, about people wanting to live the life that they want about uh, financial freedom, about real estate investing. And it almost always comes back to, hey, you have to believe you can do it. And then you have to take action and actually do it. And, and that's, that's one thing that's so exciting for me when I see people that, uh, that reach out and they haven't taken action and they have the knowledge and then they go and take action and they just, they just start winning. They start building that confidence because they took action. And I, I think that's probably what I share the most is go out and do it. Believe you can do it and then do it. Believe you can and take action. I love it. That's right. So before we dive into it, like, tell me, you're a world record holder. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah, I, I do not officially have a Guinness world record yet. Okay. Um, yeah, they approved me last year to do the most diamond push-ups in a minute. Okay. Um, I, I had to do a submission video. It's kind of a long process. They approved me to do it. Um, I did not, they, they denied my first attempt, so I have to redo it. Oh, wow. Uh, yep. Yep. I also, uh, applied to do, they're called switch grip pull-ups where you pull up, uh, with your hands facing in, you let go and re-grip with your hands facing out. So I also, they approved me to, to do that record too. You basically have to send in a bunch of footage to show that you're a good candidate for that. Got it. So I have two pending records and I still have to officially get approval on, on both those world records. Okay. So, so, but you've got your mind put to it and you're taking action. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Cool. But until I, until I actually get it, uh, you know, it, it means very little. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still on the, on the journey to get that done. I like it, but you're taking action. That's the important part. Taking action. So That's you right. talk a lot about time freedom. Yeah. Um, but I obviously want to dig into your background. I want to learn more about you, but just hearing your story and watching you and getting to know you, is that, is that really what drives you as the time freedom? Cause that seems to be your core message. And what does that mean to you? Yeah, the time freedom message really came from just my my personal experience and the conversations I would have with with other people, with other entrepreneurs, with other uh, business owners, with other people involved in real estate. And for me, it was 
I thought I was very money driven. I thought, you know, my mind, especially at a young age and early on, I thought it was about the money, you know, and as I spent more time with myself, just reflecting, I realized, I, I kind of asked myself, like, why, why do I want to be wealthy? Cause that was the big, you know, if you would have talked to me at 20, 21, 22, I would have said, Oh, I want to be rich. I want to be wealthy. I'm going to, you know, do all these things, have all these things. But when I spent some more time with myself reflecting on why and kept asking myself, well, why do I want to build wealth? It a hundred percent came down to, I want to own my time. And so it wasn't about, I wanted to have a bunch of fancy things and I wanted to swim in a pile of money. It really came down to, I wanted the ability to do whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it, however I wanted to do it. And yes, real estate and financial freedom that I gained through real estate was an opportunity and a vehicle to create that time freedom. And so that's kind of where it started. And then I would get in conversations with a lot of other investors and entrepreneurs, and it almost always came back to time. I would just ask, why are you building that? Why are you doing that? And it was rarely about the money. It was what they could do with that financial freedom. And there was a lot of conversation, a lot of talk around financial freedom. Mm -hmm. But every time I would dig just a little bit deeper and ask why, why do you want that financial freedom? It always came back to time. I want time uh, to be with my family, with my kids, with my elderly parents. I want time to travel. I want time to, to give back or to help with whatever organization was important to them. And it almost always came back to that. And oftentimes the conversation would go to where, uh, you know, somebody had this great level of financial success, but almost built themselves into a corner, right? They, they built this level of financial freedom. And then they realized, oh shit, I'm in the corner and now I'm actually working a lot more than I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And this has actually taken me away from that goal that I originally had, which was to have more time in all these other areas outside of business. And so I just felt like it wasn't a conversation that was being had. And so I just really wanted to put that message out there and have that be on people's mind of why are you doing what you're doing? And if, and if it is time freedom, make sure you're building something that allows you, allows you to have that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I so align with your message, man. And, um, you know, I, I think back to when Kara and so there's a there's a simple formula we talk about all the time. What do you really want? Why do you want it? What are you going to do to get it? Measure results and adjust. Right. And I'm thinking about a previous interview we did with another GoBro, Chad Corbett, and it just kind of aligns in this thread. Right. And he's I don't know if he said it or I said it, but when we were talking about the conversation, the crazy thing is, is every time we're searching for that freedom, we, we reach these ceilings in our personal life. Right. Where. Uh, especially when the conversation's about money, because it's really never about money, right? It's about some other Correct. why that you're really digging into and questioning. But we find ourselves often hitting this ceiling where the thing that we did, the the method or or the way that we got to that time freedom puts us in a situation. It, it, this can happen easily where we're no longer free of our time. And so the, the vehicle that we exactly. use to get to that freedom, we hit this ceiling where you got to push through to another level. So have you found that in your life where you know, you, you set out for time freedom, but, but the vehicle actually put you back into bondage. You know, a, a little bit, but it was something that I gained clarity on early on because I, I was watching some other people build, you know, build their businesses where it was taken away from that. Mm. So I just kept it on the forefront of my mind. So early on it was, you know, when I had a handful of property that was managing myself, I was managing the property myself. And that was kind of my first taste of you know, wow, this is, this is creating a job. This is taking up my time. I knew I wanted eventually higher property management, but it was, you know, yeah, 10 o'clock, you know, one night I'm fixing a toilet. I had no skills in doing so. Um, I had to call a plumber anyway. So now I'm spending my time and my money. 
And you know, my wife's home with, with the kids and I'm going, Oh my gosh, this, this was the moment that I went, okay, me managing my properties takes away from that goal of having, of owning my time. So that, you know, that year, actually that week is when I hired property management and then that allowed me some more time and that allowed me more time to spend with my family and also build my portfolio. Then it came to where, okay, I have enough properties. Do I create my own property management company? Mm. And, the, and then it was again, well, no, because I don't want employees. And I, I watched a friend who had a, was building a property management company and he's not only now dealing with the properties, now he's dealing with a lot of people and a lot of his time is spent with, with the employees and the, and the manager and all these things. So it was just on the forefront of my mind of going, okay, for me, third party property management makes sense. Yeah. And I've just kind of taken that, you know, as I've grown, I think about how does this affect my time and these other areas of my life that are important. Um, you know, and there's guys that truly genuinely, you know, they're, they just love to grind. I mean, you take a guy like Gary V that dude's going to work 120 hours, no matter how much financial freedom he has. And I believe that's, that's real to him. Yeah. I, that's just not, I'm just not that guy. And right. I think I would say the majority of the people I talk to, they don't want to work, you know, 80, hundred hours a week. Um, and it's, it's just within the investing in the investing world itself, i make decisions and I, I always ask, how does it affect my time? So it's, it's why I've chosen not to syndicate and it's how do I scale in a way that, that doesn't create a job for myself or doesn't take away so much of my time that I'm not living the life that I truly want. That's so powerful. And when you come back to the rich dad, poor dad book that you were talking about, and it, it didn't really, it wasn't a how to manual for you. It changed your, it changed your story. It changed your mindset. Right. And exactly. I think a lot of people go from feeling trapped in their W2 world to, well, I'm just going to go out there and create my own, you know, company or investment portfolio or whatever. And they don't change that story. They still yeah. think that they have to grind. They still think they, in fact, when I launched my first business, um, I was working 90 hours a week out of town. I'm 23 years old. My wife's pregnant with our third child, missed the entire pregnancy. Didn't want to start my own business. I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. I didn't realize I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And finally we said, well, if we're going to be working 90 hours a week and grinding, I might as well do it for myself. Right. So even early on, like I had that mindset that, yep. um, I had to grind if I was going to be a business owner and you've proven. So I got to dig on this a little bit because you're sure, not one sure. of those guys that just comes right out and tells the world how successful you are, but you sure. set your mind to it. Wh what do you, you cut a pretty amazing portfolio. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I mean, I'm still growing up, but I have, uh, just over 175 units. So I'm in the <laughs> middle of a couple of deals now, you know, I'm, I, I really want to push that, you know, to the 300 unit mark, uh, by the end of the year, but I'm being, I'm being, uh, you know, careful with how I do it, doing that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to take, take down some larger deals this, this year. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the 175 units are all managed by third party property management, uh, which again, that allows me to, to have my time with my family and then also really focus on, on, on deal flow. So I think, I think the thing for me is, you know, early on and kind of going back to that, you know, needing to grind, I think that society, especially in the entrepreneurial world is, Oh, you got to grind. You got to grind. You got to grind, no sleep, work all these hours. And I used to think that I used to think I had to be busy. I had to be productive. I used to answer my phone every time it rang. I rarely answer my phone now. Um, you know, it's, but you know, I, I would watch a movie with my wife and think, Oh shit, I just wasted an hour and a half rather than thinking like, wow, we just spent an hour and a half together. Mm. I thought, you know, early on, oh, I, I should have been looking at property. I should have been on the computer. I should have been on the phone. Um, when really my best time, my most, probably my most productive hours is when I'm not 
actually doing something, when I'm out on a walk, yeah. when I'm just sitting thinking. I mean, thinking is probably my most valuable, um, most productive time, really. And and it it was a process to to realize that because I think society does tell us you have to be doing and you know being busy and being productive are are not the same. They just aren't. <laughs> I like, here's what I love about you. Um, yeah, I'm doing okay. I got 175 units like you. <laughs> and then you just move back to like, um, I, I appreciate sure. the methodology, but, um, so you own 175 doors, if you will, yep. Are, you, yep. you, you don't have, you're not a big investment company, right? You, you, nope. you own 175 doors. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, there's a uh, you know a couple of the properties I have partners on, but the majority uh, ma- the majority of them, yeah, I'm 100 percent 100 percent owner on. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I get, you know we can go back. Here's here's part of the story I don't I don't think I share enough, but you know going back to that minimum wage job I had mm-hmm. and that goal to just replace that income, I became financially free really young and really quick, but I didn't become wealthy quick, mm-hmm. and so. I stopped working when I was less than $1,500 a month cash flow positive. Mm. So I was poor, man. I had, I had seven units. I had two duplexes, three single families, and I was poor. Yeah. They cash flowed, but I wasn't making a ton of money. Yeah. I lived very frugally. My wife was on board to live very frugally. We didn't buy stuff. I didn't have a rain jacket. I live in Oregon and didn't own a rain jacket for years mm-hmm. until like several years later, my wife's like, you're doing kind of okay. You should at least buy a, a rain jacket. Right? I didn't buy new <laughs> shoes. Uh, my friends made fun of me because I drove really shitty cars, but it was the mindset of, I was willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. early on because I had this long-term vision. So the things that I did early on and those sacrifices I made early on, uh, you know, they've paid off today. Yeah. And so it's a lot of people just aren't willing to do that. So I get excited when I, like I, a guy reached out to me locally and he's 23 and he's like, I'm going to house hack. He's like, I don't have kids. I'm not married. I'm going to, I'm going to house, you know, do this house hack for as long as possible. And I'm like, that's great. That's what you should do. A lot of people aren't willing to mm-hmm. share a house with someone or share a room with someone. And those early sacrifices is what allowed me to be financially free young. And then the, the money that I would make, the cash flow I'd get, I'd put back in the property. I wasn't out financing fancy cars or buying fancy things. It was very focused on that long-term goal of you know building assets, going back to that rich dad, poor dad. I was buying assets, not liabilities. And it's, yeah. It was that simple. Well, and that's, again, you know, that's why it's so important to figure out what you really want and why you want it. And then comes the what you're going to do to get it. And what I so appreciate about you, um, I, and I wanted, I wanted to dig on that a little bit because you don't spend yeah. a lot of time talking about it. But the reality is you're not just a guy that talks about time freedom. Um, you're a guy that's worked really hard to get there. Um, and I want to celebrate that, number one. Um, but I want to go backwards. So... How'd, how'd you get your first deal done? What, when, when was the, when was the moment? Take, take me through yeah. the process. Yeah. So I was, so, okay. I, so after I read Rich Dad Poor Dad Note 2, I was deployed to Iraq about a year later. Mm. And so I had, I had joined uh, an, the army national guard an infantry unit, my senior year of high school. So 99 went to basic training in 2000. Um, so I read this book in 2002 and I'm like, yes, this is what I'm going to do. And then shortly after that, I get a call up and five days later I'm gone. And five days later, I'm deployed on a 14-month deployment. A year of that was in the Middle East. So I spent a year in Kuwait and Iraq, and I'm telling everyone over there, like, hey, I'm going to come back. I'm going to, you know, buy real estate. And they're just like, you're an idiot, man. You know, um, how are you going to do that? And that's when I was like, I don't know how, but I will. Um, so I come back in 04, and I just, I was just looking at property, like every day. You know, I, I found a realtor. I was looking at property. I'm telling everyone I'm going to buy property. 
you know, but it's a hot market. 2004, 2005, um, you know, a bank approved me for a loan, which was insane because I didn't have a job. I didn't have money, <laughs> uh, but they approved me for a loan, but I'm getting beat out by all these cash offers. And the very first deal I did, the realtor I was working with, he said, hey, a friend of mine's son bought a home at auction. He's fixing it up. Nobody knows it's for sale. And I end up going there. I'm standing this thing. This is after I've been beat out on like, I don't know, 10, 12 different different offers by cash buyers. I'm standing this going, gosh, nobody knows it's for sale. Nobody. And he's willing to sell it to me at a price below market because I knew what the homes across the street sold for. Mm -hmm. And I had two people that wanted to move into the other room once I bought a house. And I thought, I'm thinking I'm an idiot not to buy this. And, and, and that was my first realization how important a relationship was because this was a friend of the realtor's son. Um, you know, second house, 2006, I met the gym and I decided that I was an investor when I had one house. So when I had one house, after I bought that first house and I rented out two of the rooms, I went and made business cards. And I told everybody, I'm an investor. I mean, the card said something like, I will look at any house in any condition. I mean, it had a whole list of single family, multifamily, all this stuff. Um, and I was telling everybody. So second house, the market's still hot. Friend at the gym was like, oh, my friend's, uh, my friend's dad's selling his house. I bought that thing 40,000 40, below market in a hot market just because I opened my mouth and, and told people what I was looking for. Yeah. So similar in 07, but the, the deal that really was the big pivot that I mentioned before was that first seller financing deal. And that's where I really built up uh, my portfolio. So other than my first three properties, which was during the subprime, so I don't know if you can really consider those um, traditionally financed. I've never used traditional financing to ever buy a property. So from 2009 to present, every property that I've ever purchased has been, uh, the majority have been seller financing. And then about a decade into that, I started uh, borrowing some private money and hard money to do deals. Um, and so that's really where I, I, I started building was I, I saw the value of seller financing. For me, it was out of necessity. I didn't have money. The bank said no way. And so those first two duplexes that were side by side, those first four units that I bought with seller financing that replaced that income, that was the real pivotal moment of when I, I realized, wow, here's something powerful and here's here's a way that I can buy property with where I'm at now with not a lot of money. And so from 2009 to 2013, uh, I did all no money and low money down seller finance deals. Wow. That was that was a mouthful. That was a mouthful. No, that yeah. was that's amazing. So have you um, have you refinanced any of those or, or done traditional loans after the fact or are you still all in seller financing? Yeah, that's a good question. So in, in 2014, so everything I bought from 09 to 13 was other than one, they were all no money down seller financing deal. And then one was a low money down deal. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those I even made money at closing, you know, I'd get the deposits and the pro rates. And the first time it was by accident, I'm going, Oh my gosh, I'm walking away with money uh, at, at closing. Um, but in 2014, you know, the market was on my side. Uh, property values improved. I had gotten, you know, tenants that weren't paying and, and not so great tenants out. I got better tenants in at, at higher rental amounts. And so, in, and, and then rates hit 4% for the first time. So in 2014, I refinanced out of all my seller financing or uh, most of my seller financing stuff um, into long-term traditional financing. And, you know, going back to just how important relationships were, one of the women that I paid off, she became my first private money lender because when mm-hmm. I paid her off, she said, what am I going to do with all this money? And I just casually said, Hey, you can lend it back to me. And she laughed. But several months later she said, Hey, um, 
were you serious about that? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Because we had had that relationship. And just because I had paid her off didn't mean that relationship ended. And then she financed my next deal. And I continued to, um, you know, invest with seller financing and, and private, private money from 2014 to present. One of my mentors always says, anytime you return investor capital, you better have another deal ready. <laughs> yep. Right. Um, and you know, right. yeah, some of this, like, you know, you're, you're a scrapper. I'm a scrapper. We don't really, you know, yep. turn a lot of that stuff into words, but you, you put that into practice. Right. Um, so that's Absolutely. pretty amazing. Just made, it just made sense for, for both of us, for, for her and I. What's your favorite deal? My favorite deal. Um, Here's one I think the listeners will like. Yeah. Um, it's it's not it's not a typical deal, but um, there's this little restaurant, little vegan restaurant that I that I would go to, and uh, the owner said, "Hey, there's this there's this boarded up house behind the restaurant. I know the owners. I'm not in a position to buy it. Uh, are you interested?" And I said, "Well, sure." And it's in a neighborhood that I that I like. So I call I call up the owner. It's, this is non listed, and the guy said, "Hey, my partner on this passed away. I need to clear title. Um, but as soon as I clear title, I'll let you know." I didn't really hear from him, but I would check in with him every couple weeks. And um, I said, hey, I'd love to get inside. He finally called me a couple months later and said, all right, I got title taken care of. How much will you give me for the house? And I said, I don't know. I got, I got to see inside. He goes, I won't let you inside. And I'm going, gosh, I mean, I've seen some bad places that he won't let me inside. It's boarded up. Yeah. I'm thinking like dead people or meth yeah. lab or his partner or something. <laughs> yeah, or his partner, right? <laughs> Um, and he, go, and, and you know, we live in an area where median home prices are probably in the mid three, you know, mid upper threes. Uh, and I said, well, if I can't get inside, I'll give you 30 grand. And he said, okay, wow. now I'm really thinking like, <laughs> you know, I know the land's worth more, but I'm like, what, you know, what is going on? Uh -huh. Um, he's saying yes to 30,000. What don't I know? Um, closed on the deal. I mean, it was worth the risk closed on the deal. And I go there and. I go there with my contract and he starts pulling the boards off the windows and there's new windows. And I, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so far so good. We get inside and it looked like, you know, tenants had left some stuff there from previous years. It smelled kind of, kind of funky because you know, it had been closed up for all these years. It was a cosmetic rehab. It needed about 20, a little over $20,000 worth of work. Um, so I'm into this thing like 50 K it, uh, it rents for 1400 a month. I, I did a, a cash out, cash out refine that the thing appraised out and I don't recall like 245 or 265 or something like that. Um, you know, and the, and the lesson there was, Hey, like trust, trust your instinct. Yeah. You know, this, this guy was convinced it was a teardown and that there's uh -huh. no way it was worth anything more than 30,000. Things a great rental. Yeah. One of my mentors, uh, Barry, who I talk about a lot, always says, um, you know, find something with the three D's death, divorce, or don't want them. And that don't yeah. want them is, you know, a big, a lot of the times, um, where we find the gems. Um, this was the case, but he just didn't know what he had. Didn't know what he had and he, and he didn't care. He didn't want to go inside. His partner was the one that, you know, handled the rental and he, he this was a don't want him. You know, I, I hear you talk about those three D's all the time and this is exactly, he didn't want him. He, this, he didn't want it. He just wanted this off his, off his books, didn't want to deal with it. He wanted it gone as fast as possible. So, yeah. So how many, you, you got 175 doors, like what, I don't need exact, but like what percentage um, did you do? no money down, low money down or seller financing? Gosh. Um, let's see. I'd say about three quarters. Of, so, uh, you know, of those 175 units, um, a, a portion, I have two mobile home parks that are one's 43 units, one's 38 units. Mm -hmm. One of those were seller financing and, uh, all my other stuff's kind of medium and small multifamily stuff. Uh, and I would say 
gosh, 90% of those of, of the non-mobile home parks are were seller financing. Mm -hmm. I think people on the outside that, um, you know, haven't changed their story yet might hear sometimes when, you know, we're talking about, um, no money down deals. I mean, I literally yeah. bought a $1.1 million uh, business and building with no money down. And that building itself is probably worth 1.2 million now. And then I had a business yeah. with it. I think a lot of times people that haven't changed their story might be sitting here hearing this and saying, well, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you go with traditional financing? Uh, yeah. why, so why don't you? Yeah. So for me early on, I was just, I wasn't financeable. The bank, the bank wouldn't give me, they wouldn't give me a loan. So for me, it was out of necessity. But what I found on those early deals is these sellers, they wanted to carry financing. Mm -hmm. At first I'd done a few of these deals and I thought this, this is amazing. I'm coming in with no money. I need to go convince or explain to all these sellers why they should carry financing. But then I reflected back and went, wait a minute, they all want to carry financing. And the reason they wanted to carry financing weren't always the same, but they were similar. So most, in most cases, it was men and women in their 60s and 70s. They were investors themselves. They had owned the asset for a certain period of time, and they were just at a stage in their investing career where they were tired. They were burnt out. So really good people, like really good people. Mm -hmm. They typically self-managed, and they were just tired landlords. They were tired of being a maintenance person, repair person. They are tired of dealing with tenants and, and turnover. And every seller has a different need. And so for me, I didn't have a down payment. So I needed to find sellers that were okay, not having a large down payment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this demographic, they don't want to be paid off typically because then they have to pay a huge capital gain. Mm -hmm. They don't want to actively invest. So they don't want to, they're not looking to do an exchange into another deal because they don't want to actively invest. They're looking for a new level of passivity. Mm -hmm. And so going in there and creating a scenario where I'm making my mortgage payments directly to them on the property, they still get that, that level of passivity and that monthly income without being paid off, without actively investing in the deal, without paying that capital gain, without having to deal with tenants. And so it really creates this perfect scenario between buyer, buyer and seller. You know, I've never walked away from a deal really feeling like I've won and they've, they've lost. And yeah. so, um, you know, and I found different sellers have different needs early on. A lot of the, a lot of the purchases looked similar. It was, you know, there's no money down. It was a, a slight a interest rate slightly above market, usually interest only uh, a balloon and, you know, say five, six years. But then a seller, I had a seller want to carry for 30 years fully amortized and they were in their late seventies. And that's really shifted to my mind. I thought, wait a minute, I'm not putting a date on their life, but they're probably not going to live to hundred you know, 120. Mm -hmm. um, and then I asked them why. And I realized not only did they want income for the rest of their life, they wanted income to go on to their adult children for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And that really shifted my realization to, I don't know what sellers want. I can never assume what sellers want. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when I'm negotiating the, a seller financing deal, I literally, all I say is, Hey, what kind of terms are, uh, you know, what kind of seller financing, you know, terms are you interested in? And, and I just shut up and listen. So as much <laughs> as I can, you know, talk on here, like I literally just say, Hey, what kind of terms are you interested in? And I just shut up and listen. Yeah. And I try to give them as much as they, I could possibly give them of what they want, find out what their needs are or what their problem might be that I can solve. And if I can still make the deal work for me, that, that creates that win-win. You know, so many people are scared of hearing the word no. Um, and that's why they don't ask, right? Yep. Um, but to your point, you've shown us uh, a lot of reasons why people would want to carry that. Um, yes. I, I literally have a, a note with a guy that called me up probably six months ago. And he's like, hey, listen, we're about two years. He's 80 years old. I think he's 81, actually. 
he's like, we're two years away from this thing expiring. I want to know, you know, what your intent is. Do you plan on paying this off or do you want to extend it out? Cause I want to get my stuff in order. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I mean, if you want to extend it out to like a 10 year right. fully amortized, like I'm totally down with it. Right. And he's like, yeah, let's do that. And so he actually took a lower monthly payment, um, to have that longevity so he could just get his trust situated. Cause he didn't, yep. he doesn't want to die potentially. I don't think he's going to die in the next two years, but he doesn't know. He doesn't want to die and leave that to his kids open-ended with me potentially making or not making a balloon payment. Right. Which I had no intention exactly. of not making it, but it's just restructuring. There's it's win-win. So many people think win-lose, but you're looking for that true win-win. And I think a lot of people true probably win-win. have their mind blown by everything you just taught us and shared with us because people are pretty flexible. What do they really want? And a lot of times sophisticated investors are not your target avatar, right? Because they, they want, if they're going to sell, it's going to be at the top. (laughs) I'm probably not the kind of person that you want to buy from, right? (laughs) I mean, unless my situation changes. So, um, man, I've just learned so much listening to the, can you still get low money down deals or seller financing? Yeah. All that. So my, my most recent mobile home park purchase, it, it was an interesting seller financing deal. And oddly enough, the, the guy I bought it from, uh, very sophisticated investor. Mm. And it's kind of a neat story because I reached out to him 10 years ago. He's a developer and he's building these A-class properties in town. And mm. I reached out to him because I'm like, who is this guy? Like yeah. these beautiful buildings are going up, uh, very attractive, multi-unit stuff. He's building Riverfront in Portland now and in Bend. And I'm like, who is this guy? And I reached out to him and and very graciously, he was willing to, willing to meet. And he just kind of shared his story. He was buying a lot of you know, multifamily stuff in the seventies. And he calls himself the accidental developer because he found himself in a place where, you know, years later he, he could develop this stuff. And so he just shared a story with me. We, I shared my story with him. We'd kept in contact, but years later he called up and said, Hey, my friend's selling a single family home, the town over. Um, and I share the story a lot because I think it's so important, like going back to relationships and just, um, you know, how important that is. And he said, are you interested in the single family hometown over? I said, I'm really not focused on single family. I'm looking for value add multifamily and mobile home parks. And he said, well, I have a mobile home park that would sell you. <laughs> and I said, will you sell or finance it? And he said, sure. And, and we sat down and this ended up being a less than 2% down deal. It was a 200% cash on cash return. And so even though this guy had a, a high level of sophistication as a developer, mm-hmm. his time and energy, his focus wasn't in the mobile home park space. Mm-hmm. So you know, he was having that managed by third pro- third party property management. Um, there was a lot of pads that weren't filled. There was a lot of there was a lot of area of improvement. And it's not that he couldn't do it or didn't have the skill set to do it. His time and energy was on something completely different, something com- way bigger. And so it created the scenario of even though he had that level of sophistication, it was a good deal for me, and it was a good deal for him. Mm-hmm. And because we had the relationship, he wasn't after a large down payment because yeah. he knew me. A lot of times, sellers want that large down payment because they don't know you. They want you to be invested financially. Mm-hmm. But when you have the relationship, a lot of times that is enough, right? That's enough to have that trust and to focus on the other, the other parts of the, of the deal. And so that's where, you know, this came to be. I didn't reach out to him 10 years ago because I wanted to buy a property yeah. from him. I reached out to him because I was genuinely interested in who this guy was and what his story was. And, you know, that, that led to a deal. And there's time and time again, I, I, I can't tell you when I, you know, these relationships, turning the deals. I just never go into them, you know, with that intention. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So a couple things that I took away from that. Number one, again, it was a, didn't want him, not because he's 
because uh, the property's crappy or because he's not successful or anything else. And then the other thing, um, and this is why it's so important to have conversations like this. Um, you know, sometimes we have to think about our limiting beliefs and the things we say. And I, I made a comment that, you know, you don't want to buy from a sophisticated investor. And Gabe just taught us that there's, there's no limitation on, on anything, right? This sophisticated investor didn't want that anymore, but it didn't mean it wasn't a valuable property. And there was a gem for you. So run me back. It was a 200% cash on cash return, 2% down. Yep. Run us through the numbers real quick on that. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty cool. So we met for like 45 minutes, about, I don't know, three or four minutes. Of that was the actual negotiation, you know, and he was old school, just brought out a yellow line piece of paper and wrote down uh, a purchase price, interest rate, down payment, um, duration of loan. And, uh, you know, the price was pretty fair. And, um, he said, what's, what's the most important thing for you? And I said, I he'd actually, so it was, a, uh, the purchase price was 720, the down payment, he wrote 70,000 and, um, I think the interest he wrote like six and a half and duration was, I don't remember like 10 years. So I was able to move some of that around and, and you know, the, and I said, he said, what's most important to you? And I said, I, I would like to keep a little more of the down payment that I can put into the property or into future deals. So he crossed out that 70K and wrote 30. That was like a five second part of the conversation. So that was, you know, $40,000 saving on a down payment because I, I had said, you know, hey, I'd like to keep a little down payment. And again, we had that relationship and, and that trust. Well, by the time we closed with prorations and um, deposits, that 30K turned into less than 15,000 that I had to bring to the table. Um, and he, he budged a little bit on interest. So I said before, you know, earlier in the show was, you know, sellers are usually stuck on down payment, purchase price and interest rate. His was the interest rate. You know, there's a certain interest rate that, that he wanted to get. And so I was able to give him that, but everything else was pretty negotiable. So, you know, we added a few more years on to the, the term length. We, we, you know, budged a little bit of, he budged a little bit on the price, but ultimately it was a down payment that he was willing to come off of. And that's, and that's what I was looking for. So it was a win for him and a win for me amazing that's amazing how many um how many deals like that you got with that, that are two percent down yeah um you know most recently not a lot of two percent down deals but you know you know early on go back to those deals i was talking about in 2009 through 13 uh, you know a lot of those i mean they were almost all no money down and it was just because that wasn't what the seller was looking for they were in a position where if i were to give a large down which i did not have they would have paid capital gains on that because they had already, they had another business that they were running. And so they didn't want any taxable income during, during those years. Yeah. And so, you know, those were infinite returns. Mm -hmm. I mean, early on, I didn't know anything about, you know, cap rates and cash on cash return. I, I, I knew very, very, a little, very little about anything, but I did know that if it was cash flow positive, that's an infinite, and I'm bringing no money to the table. That's an infinite return. Yeah. Well, and that's what's so funny, you know, the more, again, sophisticated we get, um, and in air quotations for those that are just listening, yep. um, the more we get stuck on the cap rates and all this stuff. But the reality is when you first start investing, it's like, how much money do I have to put in? How much time and energy? And what yep. is this thing going to cash flow, right? And when you just even think about time freedom, which is what you're constantly talking about, you know, if you've got 100 rentals that are each paying you $10 a month and you're managing them, that's not a great portfolio, right? <laughs> you don't That's need right. some fit like all your time with yeah, very little return. Yeah, you don't can't even afford to pay a property manager. So, um, you know, we've got all these sophisticated. This is what I love about you because you just bring it back down to like reality. Um, and not that you can't, you know, rap with the best of us about 
formulas yeah. and everything else, but that's really not what it's about, right? It's like, what do you really want and why do you want it? What are you going to do to get it? Exactly. Um, so back to not seeing a lot of seller carry deals and stuff or low money down deals lately. Is that because the cycle we're in? And do you think that there's a time coming where people might be able to um, jump in or what, what's your, what's your forward looking thoughts here? Yeah, it's an interesting market. Cause I, I get asked a lot lately, Hey, is it still a good time to buy? And my response is always the same. I always, I say it's always a good time to buy if you buy right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it, it, the market's interesting with interest rates being low and, you know, properties are selling for top dollar and, you know, in my market, but also across the country. And so, you know, that's really unique. I don't think that's going to, I don't think it's going to last forever, mm -hmm. but I'm also seeing some seller financing deals. I have a few things in the pipeline that, you know, are, are potential great purchases. And those would be some seller financing deals. I think a lot of people are throwing stuff on the market just to see what they're going to get. I mean, I'm selling, you know, four of my single family homes, you know, three of those being the first property that I've ever purchased because they're the lower, lower cash flowing. Mm -hmm. And it's a, I mean, it still amazes me what people are willing to willing to pay for them. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, both in the single family and the multifamily uh, space, you're seeing a lot of stuff. People are just kind of testing to see what they could sell it for. And they're getting, you know, above market uh, for, for those things. So I do think there's going to be some opportunities, especially in the, I mean, in the commercial space. And, you know, sadly, I think a lot of businesses are just not going to be able to uh, survive you know, this, this downturn, um, with, with people just not coming to their, to their businesses. And so I think that's going to have a huge effect. And of course that's going to trickle down and that they're not making money and they own property. Um, you know, we just don't know what the economic impact is going to be, but I think it could be really big. And I think that will create an opportunity. I mean, in any, any downturn, uh, you know, there is, there is opportunity. So just being aware and awake and paying attention to where that opportunity might be is, is important more than anything. That's, that's such good advice. Um, so when the market's hot, it's always a good time to buy as long as you get the deal right, which is what I heard you say, I think. And so in times like this, I mean, I'm just going to pull this back to what I think I heard you say. It's probably more important than ever that your relationships lead that discussion. 100%. Right? Yeah. Yep. 100%. 100% comes, comes down to relationships, you know, and then, you know, specifically on the deals, it's got to be cash flow positive. I, I watched a lot of people lose lose money in the last downturn because they were buying only on speculation, only on an appreciation play. And you can make a lot of money in appreciation and, and speculation, but what saved me in the last downturn is I didn't care what my properties did on paper. Mm. You know, people thought it was crazy risky that I'm buying, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, but I was buying for cash flow. Those properties are worth a lot today and there's a lot of equity there, but I never relied on that equity. It was cash flow first. And so, you know, in a hot market or, you know, up market, down market, any market, it's cash flow first. I like upside potential. I like properties that are poorly managed, under rented, deferred maintenance that that have equity plays, but I still want them to cash flow first because that, you know, that's what's going to save you in a downturn. If if my portfolio is worth half of what it's worth today, tomorrow, I don't care mm -hmm. if it cash flows the same. Yeah. And that's, you know, that that's what's going to save you in a downturn. That's such a great point. And not to get in the weeds on this, but I had a conversation with somebody at one point in time that I don't, I mean. I don't really care what the cap rate is um, yep. the, because that's all of assuming that we're paying full cash really at the end of the day. I mean, the cap rate exactly. is the amount of purchase price, right? And, and so many people get stuck on this cap rate conversation, but guys like you that I've learned so much from, I'm not saying cap rate is irrelevant, but the reality is it's all about the cash on cash return and the cash flow, yep. right? So hundred percent, hundred percent agree with that. I mean, I had I had a friend early on asking about cap rate. I'm like, man, go buy a property that puts money in your pocket first. Yeah, I love it. Well, 
I really, really, really appreciate your time and all your wisdom and experience. I mean, we could go on for days. So any, any final parting last words? You know, just the same advice I'd give anyone. If you want it bad enough, go, go get it, you know, believe that you can and, and get after it. I love it. What's the best place for people to find you? Best way to find me, reach out, uh, Instagram, Gabriel R. Hamill, or if you search Gabriel Hamill, you'll find me. Uh, I'm on Facebook too. I'm on LinkedIn. And then my website is hamillinvestments.com. And there's a bunch of links to other podcasts. I'll put this podcast on there too once it's out. Love it. Um, so would you say you love teaching? I enjoy it, man. I enjoy giving back. Like one of the most exciting things for me is when somebody reaches out and then they reach back out after we've talked and they tell me that they bought their first investment property or they quit their job because, you know, they're, they're able to replace their income through real estate. I mean, that's exciting to me. Just, mm -hmm. just hearing feedback from people that they're, that they're doing what they want to do. Yeah. I love it. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, okay. And, and of course you can say no. And we did not talk about this ahead of time, but if I could uh, put together a group of 10 people that are interested in a one hour teaching you getting into the weeds on, you know, how to approach seller carry and, and just run some rough numbers on yep. um, seller carry properties. Would you, uh, would you, would you be willing to do that? Absolutely. hundred percent. Cool. So if you send me an email to investing uh, team at investing for .co and just put seller carry in the subject line and tell us why you think you should be in this course. Um, we'll schedule a, we'll get a, a timeout for uh, Gabe to take us through some seller financing and, and teach us how to run numbers on a, on, on some seller financing deals. Awesome. I'd love to, I'd love to do that. And, uh, and Mike, it was good hanging out with you in Breckenridge as well. I enjoyed, I enjoyed our time there and being able to hang out and get outside nature a little bit too. I always, I always enjoy our time and, um, you know, Gabe, Gabe always gets put on the spot for this, but he's probably the most healthy, wealthy vegan I've ever met in my life. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. That's, that's, that's the poke at the vegan, but man, you, you sure, it. you sure live life. You live life big. So. That's, that's what I do. Cool. Well, send us that email and we're going to get you guys in a, in a course with, with Gabe and I'll hang out and, and learn from the best. So thanks for awesome. being on. Thanks for your time. Thanks Mike. Yeah, right. Appreciate it. Bye. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.